and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. So open up the gates, they wait before the King of Kings. Our God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Oh, who can stop the Lord? You believe that this morning? Come. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Oh, who can stop the Lord? For our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Well, I'm praising this morning that we can have that truth in our lives that He rose from the dead.
When Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Come on, praise together. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. sun shall pierce the night then I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus face amen what a day oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise
praise the one who paid my debt and raised us alive up from the dead. We'll praise the one who paid my debt and raised us alive up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised us alive up from the dead. We'll praise the one who paid my debt and raised us alive up from the dead. We'll praise the one who paid my debt and raised us alive up from the dead. We'll praise the one who paid my debt and raised us alive up from the dead. excited that you're here and we're here to make Jesus the number one priority and we are so excited about what God's gonna do this morning and last at the 9:30 hour it was a powerful morning and we're so excited just to keep this party rolling with you and just say hey Jesus you're the number one in our lives and Jesus is alive he is risen and we are just so thankful that you're here and if you're new with us please 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 just find us at the next steps area it's that big blue sign in the lobby and just let us know your story what what brought you here um, I talked to somebody last hour they've never been to church before and we love those stories we are so excited that you're here and just no matter what your story looks like we'd just love to connect with you um, if you pass a friendship folder so there are these black black folders in the inside of the chair in front of you if you just pass those from the inside to the outside we appreciate it. just let us know you're here and, uh, and, and if, you're, if you're new with us, find us at the Next Steps area. We'd love to give you something free. I had someone last night at Saturday night, and she wandered up to the, the sign, and she just said, hey, like, I heard there's something free over here. And I got talking with her, and you just, I love that, you know? So we're just really excited to be able to connect with you and uh, really, really thankful for that. I just want to share something that's coming up. So we're all in different steps, right? We all have different things going on in our lives. Our stories all look different. The next step just isn't a program or one thing. It's all kinds of different things. Maybe it's getting your kids connected, or maybe it's getting your students connected, or maybe it's joining a life group or joining a group, or even just, 
hey, what's going on at the church or what does this church believe? And so we're going to do something on April 22nd called our Next Steps class. And that's going to be our membership, our answer to membership. And that's on April 22nd. It is free childcare. It's free to, to, to show up, free lunch. And it's right after the second service on Sunday, April April 22nd. It's right after and we'll uh, share location soon. But you can sign up on our website or you can sign up at the Next Steps area. They'd love to help you out. And so we're just really thankful that you're here. And we already are talking about the series we have coming up next weekend. So we know that we all have our stories. We all have things that are going on in our lives. And every story is different. But how Jesus gets to us is all different. But it still is the same result. He changes our lives. So it's his story meeting our story. So watch this video real quick. So that series starts next weekend called Collide, where his story meets our story. We're going to hear stories from our own people, too, which is going to be really powerful. So please come back and join us next weekend. We're really excited to be able to connect with you and also, too, to just share this this really cool series with you. So as the ushers come forward for our morning offering, if you're brand new with us, feel free to participate. And, and maybe your offering this morning is you just let us know like what you, what's going on in your lives. You write in the friendship folder, even just your whatever information you feel comfortable sharing. But we would love to pray for you, love to connect with you. If you're new with us, you're absolutely more than welcome to participate. This is for those who are regular in the grace of giving, but you are absolutely more than welcome to participate. We're so excited that you're here. Join me in prayer. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you that at the end of the day, God, no matter how we look at our lives, no matter what angle we look at our lives, no matter what we come in with, whether it's our best or we come in with our mess, Jesus, you are the only answer. God, we can't earn it. We couldn't buy it. We couldn't do enough good to earn a relationship with you. You had to get to us in only the way that you could do. You rescued us. And God, I just know there are people here who are wrestling with major hurt. God, wrestling with loss of loved ones, of, of people that are suffering and illnesses. God, of just trying to have it all together and not understanding why things aren't working out or maybe even just getting here this morning was a stress. Father, I pray that just we'd all just take a breath. God, knowing that you know our story, just even in the quiet, God, you know our story. And God, you want to meet us. God, whether we showed up with good stuff going on all over the place or we showed up with last night was horrible, this morning was awful. God, whatever that is, we know you're going to meet us. And so we're excited about how you're going to interact with us this morning. God, we give now out of a heart of sacrifice, knowing that, God, it is you that will make your mission go. You're moving, you're working in our city and our country. God, we want to see more people come to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us first.
Easter to you. Glad you're here this morning. Let's give our God a hand, huh? He rose from the dead. Absolutely. How ironic is it that today is April the 1st? We're talking about snow showers and all that, you know, but it's April the 1st. April Fool's Day, huh? Now, it's almost like to Satan, April Fool's, you know? It's like to Satan, you thought he was dead. April Fool's. He rose. He's alive, and he's alive forevermore. Um, you know, when, when, when Satan, uh, when, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought that it was, when he, he thought that when he said it is finished, he thought it was over. He thought that Jesus was saying it was done and that, that, uh, that Satan had won. Little did he know what was coming Sunday morning. 
Little did he know that three days later, Jesus would conquer death itself and totally, completely defeat the enemy forever. And so our God is victorious. So today, our message is one of strength, it's one of victory, and it's an exciting day. And uh, today, I'd like to, uh, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that everybody has a different Easter tradition. Some of you do different things. Some have an egg hunt. I saw the Watts had a big egg hunt yesterday. It was on, somebody had it on social media. And uh, how many eggs did you guys have up there? Had to be a couple thousand, I know. You know, you, you know, if you know Jim Watts, right? Jim Watts has 13 grandkids, and, and you know, I looked on the, the thing, there's like eggs everywhere. I was just like super impressed with Jim. But uh, you know, I, I wanna encourage you today, uh, you know, today you have different, different things. Some of you do a little egg hunt, some of you have chocolate, you, you hide some chocolate around the house for the kids, but today we'll all have some sort of a meal and it'll be some sort of a festive day, right? So I, wanna, I just want to see what, what the different type of things that we do out there. How many of you are going out to a restaurant today? That's, that's, that's Easter dinner, out at a restaurant, okay? Just a few of you, all right? How many of you are going to somebody else's house for, for Easter dinner? Raise your hand. Somebody else's house, all right? How many of you are having people over to your house? Raise your hand. Okay, we need to pray for these people because they have a lot of work to do, all right? There's a lot of work they've got to do, and they're going to see Aunt Sally that they haven't seen for a while and all that type of stuff, right? So I just want to encourage you, today is a, it's a day of fun, and you have all these different things that you're going to be doing, but at the end of the day, this day is all about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's why I love it. I love Easter. I love Easter because it's the day that we, we proclaim it loud and clear, but I want to encourage you that we proclaim that same message every Sunday in this church. When you come to church here, the only thing we talk about is Jesus. So if you're looking for something else, you can find it somewhere else, but you will find Jesus here every week. And I will tell you something more about Jesus. We will always make him. He is the centerpiece, and it's because he rose from the dead. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, we wouldn't be here this morning. Had he not risen from the dead, there would be no Easter egg hunts. There would be no, no reason for chocolate. There would be no reason for all the extra frills and thrills and joys that we add to this. The greatest joy is that Jesus rose from the grave once for all forever. And when he did, he conquered death. So, and, and what that means for you and I. So I'm excited this morning as we jump in to understand that Christianity is not based upon other Christians, but it's based on Christ. Uh, you, you may have had a run-in with, uh, with another Christian. You, you may have had some, some run-ins where maybe another Christian, you, you didn't have a good experience. And I apologize if that's your, your, your story today. Because we're, as Christians, we're just, we're following people, but God saved us. God forgave us and, and gave us another opportunity. And sometimes we get out of hand. Sometimes we hurt each other. Uh, so, sometimes we, we're, we're not the friendliest. And so I apologize if, that, if you've had a bad experience with, with another Christian. But today, that is not the reason for Christianity. That's not the reason for your relationship with God. You get to have a relationship with God based upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the cornerstone to everything that we talk about here. And so as we continue, th uh, you know, throughout the year, we always talk about different things. We'll talk about how to, how to grow your, your family uh, towards God, how to grow your personal life, all that. But it's all centered around Jesus. And so today I thought we'd stop. And if Easter is so important, and this is the main message, Easter is so important, where did it come from? Did Easter just start on the day that Jesus rose from the dead? Was, was that when Easter started? Or did it start on Good Friday when he was hanging on the cross? Uh, actually, Easter predates, predates the, uh, 
uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, it was planned long before that. It predates um, the, the prophets. It predates King David. If you look in the Old Testament, you find a lot of talk about the most revered king, King David. Uh, Easter was, w- w- goes all the way back to the first family because the first family, God places them in a garden and they have a problem. And so as they have this problem, God says, I have to deal with this problem. Now, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. You, you see, Easter brings out in us the start of eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in your heart. So what that means is that's God's thumbprint on your heart. And today, as you've come in the door, you're thinking, man, there's something more to this story. Some of you are skeptical, and that's okay. Skeptics are welcome. I love skeptics. Um, Listen, because we, we have some exciting things to talk about Jesus. And Thomas, he was a skeptic. He, he kind of he hemmed around until he finally believed. And so I, I invite you to, to, to come along on your journey wherever you're at. But at the end of the day, there's a thumbprint of God in your heart and in your life that says there's something more. I'm missing something. Um, there, there's something more than what the story of this life is because this life is short-lived. And we know that we're only here for just a short time. And, and so that, that's God. God places his thumbprint in your heart. But God is, uh, you know, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, he had planted eternity in the human heart. And, uh, and, and so we find out that God is the source of everything. Everything came from God. And so we go back to, back to Adam and Eve. There's where the problem started. Adam and Eve, God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And here they are, and, and he says, you know, you get to have this beautiful place to live in. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful climate, not like Pittsburgh, right? You know, it's, it's just a beautiful climate, and you, it's perfect all the time there. And he says, you can have everything. As a matter of fact, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. You know what that means? That means have children at an alarming rate, okay? It just means just keep having kids and, and multiply and watch this thing spread out. And then I want you to, uh, to love me. Love, love God, right? And he gives him this uninhibited relationship. He says, there's just one thing. There's this tree over here. Don't eat of this tree. And if you eat of the tree, surely you will die. Now, God follows through on his word. He's, he's a God of promises. And if he doesn't keep his promise, he's not God. Uh, you know, if, if you don't keep your promise, your integrity is on the line. So God made a promise. He says, the soul that sins, it shall die. He says, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And so what happens? Adam and Eve, they entered. Sin enters the picture. The serpent comes in, and the serpent tempts, tempts Adam and Eve. And, and, and this is whenever the first sin enters the world. The, the serpent says, surely, you know, God's hiding from some, something from you. So, so why don't you eat of this tree? And, uh, and so they, they take and they eat of the tree that day. And the problem there became that they started to trust themselves more than they trusted God. So he puts them in a beautiful place. And, uh, and, and the question becomes here, um, why would God, if God knew that they were going to sin, God knew that this would happen, why did he put them there in the first place? I've heard people ask me that, several people have asked me that even this year. They said, why would God put Adam and Eve in the garden, make a promise that if you sin, you'll die, knowing ahead of time that, he, that they would sin? And here's the deal. You cannot have love without freedom. Did you catch that? Without freedom, there is no love. So in other words, if, uh, if some of you young guys in the church here today, you're looking to go on a date, right? If you pull up to pick up your date, and she comes out and says, yes, I'm so happy to be here. My mother told me I have to go on a date with you today. What are you going to do? You're going to be like, oh, no. 
I'll never forget whenever I was dating Rhonda, you know, that's been 25, 25 plus years ago that we started dating. When I was dating Rhonda, I'll tell you what happened there. Uh, it, it was kind of wild. I would go in, uh, and I remember she came into the church, and I would call her up, and I, I said, hey, you know, you want to go out? And it's like, no, not, not really, you know, and, uh, you know. And I'll never, my, you know, her parents are here today, and so I'll never forget, I, God bless her, her mom's the sweetest person in the whole world. Can you give her a hand? She's sitting right there today, all right? Yeah. Her mom is just the sweetest lady in the world, and I'd call out there, and I'd say, hello, is Rhonda there? I, I, you know, and, and she's like, ah, 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 and you have to know her. She's just so sweet. She's like, I, I, I don't think so. I'm like, I think she is. Oh, and I call back, is Rhonda, nah, nah, ah, ah, you know, and I get the stumbling effect around, and then, you know, it took Rhonda a while to see this hunk of, hunk of burning love, you know, (laughs) I just want you to know that, it just just took her a while, you know, but finally one day the lights went off, and we're sitting at Taco Bell having a classy date, you know, and uh, and the rest is history, I just couldn't keep her off me from that point, you know, and it was just, it was just wonderful. But, but you see, without freedom, without freedom for her to say no, there's no love. And that's what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He put them in the Garden of Eden, and he in his knowledge and in his wisdom and in his care, because he is love and he understands love, says, I'm going to give them the freedom to not love me. And whenever he did that, they sin, and they still God says, I still love them. I still care about these people. I have made them. I made them for my good pleasure. Adam, you understand, you are made for the good pleasure of Jesus Christ, for the good pleasure of God. That is your purpose in life. It is not your job. Thank you, God. Half of us are getting laid off. It's not your job. It's not your family. It's none of the above that are all good things. It is God. He created you with a purpose and you belong to him. And he made you to look the way you do. He made you with your personality the way you are. All because he said, I want you to be my servant, to please me. And so when he put Adam and Eve in the garden and they sinned, he come along and he had to execute justice. So he follows through on his promise like he said he would. And then he says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, but yet the serpent will bite the heel of the seed of the woman. And what he did was he made a promise right there. You know what he did? Even before that, they were naked. He goes and he takes takes an animal and he kills the animal and makes a covering for them. He takes a a goat. You know, I was looking yesterday. I was was just sitting there as I'm thinking about this smallness over, and my wife's got this little dog, 12 pounds. I'm like, I don't even have the heart to do that. I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't even kill a dog. And that's apples to oranges. That's not even apples to apples. So God, God, God says, I'm going to provide a temporary covering. And so he instituted what was known as the, uh, the wounded victor. Okay? So, so this is what Jesus would be. He would be the wounded victor. So he made the covering for him right away. He makes the promise that, that he would crush the heel, but yet that there would, uh, he would crush the head, but yet there would be a bite. And that's what happened on the cross when Jesus died. He came and he crushed the enemy once for all, forever. He's crushed. He is defeated, but yet Jesus, uh, but yet Satan crush, uh, bites back the heel. And, and we have somebody you have Jesus who dies on the cross and he pays for your sin and he did it once for all forever and your, your, your price has been paid. And then Easter Sunday comes. 
But where did it come from? Let's keep looking here. Uh, as you go through Scripture, you'll find over and over that God kept sending his promise. And, and I'm just going give to you, give you a few of them. He set up this animal sacrifice, and the, 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 sac- uh, the blood of an animal could never cover the sin of a human. It just couldn't do it. And so God set that up as a picture for the people to see that they needed to deal with their sin. And they would go back over and over and over. They'd come back with yearly sacrifices. There's all kind of sacrificial system in the Old Testament. You read it. But yet through all these writings of the prophets, we see little pictures of Jesus all along the way. And let me just share with you a little bit of these pictures on the way. One of them is in Genesis 22. God had called Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have many, many children. You're going to, your descendants will be like the stars in heaven. You won't be able to count them. He promises them, and 25 years later, at the age of 100, he comes through. God says, okay, I'm finally going to give you that son. And God gives him a son. His name is Isaac, and he takes Isaac, and he goes up to, uh, God says, I want you to take Isaac now after, after the boy's grown a little bit. He says, I want you to take Isaac up, your only child, the child that I promised. I want you to go to Mount Moriah. And when you get to Mount Moriah, uh, you're going to stay there, and then you're going to sacrifice him whenever I tell you to sacrifice him. So if you go into Genesis chapter two, 22, now this is so wild. This is thousands of years before Jesus comes to earth. He's sitting there with his son. Now, could you imagine you're sitting there with your only son? You're 100 years old plus, 100 plus years old, and you're saying, all right, God, this don't make sense. He wants me to sacrifice my son. We've always sacrificed goats and animals. I don't understand. God, whatever you say, I'm going to go up and do this. So he goes up and he stays there, just Abraham and his son Isaac, for three days. And why don't you catch that? Three days. How long was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. Isaac's there. He take, Abraham takes Isaac up and he's about ready to sacrifice his son. And just as he goes to sacrifice, it's like he was, you know, you, that would be the ultimate turmoil to think you had to do this for three days you're sitting there. And so he goes and he goes to take the sacrifice to his son and God puts an angel there and stops him and he provides a, a ram right over there. And he provides a sacrifice. And that day in Genesis chapter 22, you'll see that, uh, that God said that he himself will provide a sacrifice. Jehovah Jireh, our Lord provides. He himself will provide a sacrifice. Do you know what happened on that very same mountain? Mount Moriah, that's the name that you saw it thousands of years earlier. You come down, it's the same place where Jesus died on the cross. God kept his word. He said, in this place, I will provide a sacrifice. He himself. So God himself provided that sacrifice. And then, then you go through and you just see picture after picture. Um, you say, well, how can one person, how could one person pay for the sin of all of mankind? I don't understand that. How can that happen? Well, here's how it happens. One person pays, pays for the sin because he has the value. He is the son of God. Isaiah chapter 7 said, now remember, Isaiah 7 was written 700 years earlier. It said that he would be born to a virgin girl. Isaiah chapter 9 said that it would be a boy child and that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. This would be the Mighty God. He had more value than all of us put together and he lived a perfect, sinless life. Isaiah 11 says that Jesus would be born, that Jesus would be from Nazarene. Micah 5 says that he would be from Bethlehem, and yet Hosea 11 says that he would be from Egypt. And you say, well, isn't that a contradictory? 
How, how can he be from all three of those places? Well, let me show you what happened here. Uh, how did Jesus actually, what actually happened in Jesus' life? Mary and Joseph was from Nazareth. There's the Nazarene. And then whenever it was time for the baby to be born, for Jesus to be born, they got up and they went down to Bethlehem. They came south to Bethlehem, and there he is born. Why'd they go to Bethlehem? For the, for the census that was taken. God had it all figured out. God had a plan. And then, uh, as, as, the, as baby Jesus is born and is growing, they're there roughly about two years, the wise men come, they, they tell, they go to Herod and say, we're looking for this king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, we're looking for him. And Herod was terribly threatened by him. Herod would kill his own family. And so Herod goes out and he starts, he, he puts out an edict to kill all the little babies, two years and under, right? All the male-born babies, two years and under. So what's, what does Mary and Joseph do? They take baby Jesus and they flee to Egypt. And after a period of time there and rest, the dust settles, they go back to Nazareth. So Jesus was from Nazareth. He was from Bethlehem. He's from Egypt. And why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because these writings from the Old Testament, uh, these writings from the prophets, uh, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, we see over and over and over that Jesus was forecasted. He was foretold that he would come and that he would pay the price for man. And the rabbis, they were studying this for 300 years before Jesus arrived on the scene. The priest, they all knew this. 300 years, they've been going over this and over this. And why is that important? Because you can't make this stuff up. Uh, I want you to know, when Jesus arrived, a bunch of people didn't come and, and make up a bunch, of, a bunch of literature and say, well, let me show you how we can make this guy be our hero. It wasn't, he didn't come and start some movement uh, that somebody manipulated. He came and he was the fulfillment of the movement of God. And God had this plan from, from, from the very moment that sin enters the earth. So for, for several thousand years, God is un, unveiling his plan. Zechariah chapter 9 says that he would come riding on a donkey into the city where he would be offered, where his life would be offered as a sacrifice. Do you know what happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus comes riding on a donkey. That happened to be the same time during Passover that you would present your lamb, your sacrifice. That you would go out and you would pick your sacrifice. And so God picked his sacrifice that day and he comes riding on a donkey. Fulfillment from Zechariah chapter 9, hundreds of years before. Zechariah chapter 11 said that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver is betrayed by a friend. That's, we know that happened. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 68 says that the Messiah would suffer when, and, and that when he died, it would not be an easy death. Psalm 118 says that Jewish people would reject him. Uh, Isaiah 52 and 53 give the gory details down to they would be plucking his beard. They would flog him. They would beat him. Uh, that, that, uh, that, he would, that his robe would not be ripped. Yet they would throw dice. And guess what? As you look through the biblical account, you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the eyewitness accounts, we find that all these things came true. And it just keeps lining up, lining up, lining up. Numbers 21 says that he would be lifted up in his death. When Jesus died on the cross, they lifted him up for all to see. And, 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 and that was written, uh, Numbers 21 was written thousands of years before a Roman crucifixion ever took place. 
Um, Psalm 22, he would be pierced in his hands and his feet way before Romans ever invented a crucifixion. Before they ever invented it, hundreds of years earlier, the psalmist says that the, that the Messiah would be pierced in his hands and his feet. They didn't even know. When he's writing it, he's like, I don't even understand this. Who dies like that? But that's what, the, what, what he'll be like. Uh, Psalm 16 says that he would die and his body would not be dead long enough to decay. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. His body did not decay. And so the, the Easter came from our problem. It was God's plan. God solved the problem from eternity past. And so today, I want to say this, that either Christianity is true because Jesus rose from the dead, or he didn't, and Christianity is a lie. And this morning, I'm going to tell you that Christianity is true because Jesus did rise from the dead. And so the question is, how can I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? How can I, in 2018, 2,000 years after the fact, how can I rationally believe that this man rose from the dead? Because people don't rise from the dead. It's not every day you see somebody rise from the dead. Okay? Actually, I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. I have, uh, I have been in ministry for a number of years. I have done so many funerals, and I'll tell you what, not one of them have come back to compliment me on my message. Not one of them. <laughs> not one of them. And I give my heart and soul for those guys. But listen, Jesus conquered death. And so the, the, I want to throw this thought at you this morning. The disciples didn't think anything was good on Good Friday. When they saw that their master had died and they said it is finished, they didn't totally understand the depths. They did not understand that he would rise. He told them that they would rise and he did. They, if, that just doesn't sink in. You know, if, if I pulled my kids and said, said to them, hey, you know, I'm going to die, but I'll, I'll come back to life again. They're going to laugh at me, right? And so they didn't understand what Jesus was, was going to say. Uh, the disciples didn't think anything was good on Good Friday. And, and so one of the, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you s- some reason that you can actually believe this. And here's the reason that you can actually believe it. Because of the eyewitness record. We have eyewitness record. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now let's go to John chapter 20, verse 1. And I'm going to show you here just a little bit of, of not only the story, but why you can believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. Folks, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because somebody told me. Because my mom said so, or the church said so. I believe it because Jesus is literally alive. And we have enough facts that you can trust who Jesus is and hang your life on him. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We don't know where he went. She didn't come back and say, he's alive. That's how we end all the plays, isn't it? You know? You go to the passion play, they always have somebody at the end. He's alive! You know what? They went into the tomb, and the record, and and here's why you can believe the record. Because if I were writing a story about my life, I would tell you all the good stuff, wouldn't I? I would not tell you my disbelief. So if I were writing a book, and I wanted to sell this book about how Ken met Rhonda, I would never say, 
that I called and her mom stumbled around and said, she's not here. I would tell you that she saw her hunk of hunk of burning love from first sight, right? I would tell you that all right up front. Why? Because I would want you to only believe the best. So whenever you're coming to the story and you see things that that make it it like, what? They didn't believe? Why didn't they believe? Do you you know why why they did that? Because that's the way it really happened. Secondly, Mary was a woman. Why would you include the testimony of a woman? And in our culture, we don't understand that because today women's, uh, are, are, you know, we have, we have rights, everything is good, everything is great, you know, we're equal, you know, men, women can vote, all that good stuff. In that day, a woman couldn't vote. She couldn't even be an admissible testimony in a court of law. Women had little value in their society. So if you were going to tell a story and you said, hey, Mary saw him first... Right there, it hurts your story. Well, why did John write it like that? Why did Matthew write it like that? Why, why do we see the account that Mary was the first person to actually talk to him? Because that's the way it happened. And so when you, you there, there's undeniable facts here. And as we go through, you, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, it's like looking at four eyewitnesses of an event. I'm on this side of the event, you're on the other side, and there's other people all surrounding, and they all write their record. And God inspires them to write this record, and they leave for us what they saw, because they saw the risen Lord. I look here, Matt, uh, Luke chapter 24, the, the disciples at first, when Mary came back and said that she saw Jesus, look what she says. They did not believe the women because the words seemed like nonsense. Why? Because people don't rise from the dead. That's why this was such a huge miracle. This was an incredible miracle. So, so Jesus rises from the dead. Uh, so Peter, now look here, continuing on. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. So Peter um, and the other disciples started out, of the tomb, uh, started out for the tomb. But uh, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, the other disciple, that's John. He's writing himself into the story. The other disciple, he's, he's kind of humble, isn't he? Be like me and, me and my brother, me writing a story about me and my brother. Uh, and the one that mom loved more, you know, talking about me or something, right? Um, but he says, but the other disciple outran Peter. So John outran, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, ver, uh, the next verse here. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. They had taken Jesus' body off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and what did they do? They wrapped this body. It was, it was like their embalming process. They had to get the body down quickly because Sabbath, sundown, would have been Sabbath on the day that Jesus died. And so they had to get the body down. They could not work on the Sabbath. They could not do this preparation. It, it had to be done. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus quickly take the body of Jesus down. And, and listen, by the way, in that day when a, a typical Roman crucifixion, not too many of them got a tomb. Not too many of them got, uh, they, they were thrown on a garbage heap is what happened. It, so, so whenever they pulled Jesus down and they got permission, the, uh, the authorities really wanted him in a tomb so they could put guards around him so that nobody could come up with a theory that, that he was alive. And so Jesus goes out, uh, they, they bury him, they take all these cloths, and now whenever these guys come in, they're seeing the cloth that was there. They're, they're, they're seeing, that's what Mary, was, Mary Magdalene was coming to the tomb that morning because she was going to continue the embalming process now that, now that it was 
Sabbath was over, she could go back down. And she's probably thinking, how am I going to move this big old stone? How am I going to deal with this? There's, there's guards. How am I going to deal with the guards? How, how am I going to get in there? And she goes down and she sees the stone moved away. And the first thing she thinks is that he has been stolen, that his body has been taken then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He, as well as the, uh, he also as well saw the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. He saw the strips of linen lying there. The cloth was folded up by itself, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. Up until this point, there was no belief. Up until this point... Who took the body up until, and then he goes in, and the word saw is, in, in the Greek is actually this word theorize. Uh, in other words, it, it's like he's, he's looking at it. It's not just like I'm looking. He's looking, and he's stunned, and he's saying, the body's gone. There's the linen. There's a napkin from his head. What just happened? And as they're theorizing, as they're thinking, they start to remember. He said he would come alive. He said he would come alive. He said he would come alive. And then if you continue on, you read the book of John there, chapter 20. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 9, you'll see that, uh, that Mary Magdalene actually has an interaction with him and starts to, uh, comes back and, and talks to him, uh, gets to talk to Jesus. Um, verse, uh, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she stooped to look into the tomb, so she comes back, as she stoops to look in, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord away. So she still doesn't believe. At this point, she still doesn't believe that he is risen. She thinks that they have taken my Lord away. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And when she did that, when he, when he said Mary, she turned, she recognized his voice, and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to, and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced this to the disciples. I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things. We have eyewitness account. You can believe the account because the way it's written. And you can believe it because all, the, all these things, it's like, wow, we, we have this. It's just, you don't go out and you couldn't make this stuff up. He's the fulfillment of all those Jewish scriptures coming up to there. And you can see that, that, that he did that, uh, that, that he was the fulfillment. He didn't go back and manipulate. There's no way you could plan all that stuff. He was, it was the prophecy. It was God's plan had come, come together. And then we see, we see changed lives. Listen, the disciples gave their lives for someone they saw that was raised from the dead. They saw this man, Jesus, raised from the dead, and they went around, and their message was not the parable of the Good Samaritan. Their message was not to go out and say, oh, just love each other all the time and sing Kumbaya around the fire. 
You know, many churches, that's, they, they get hung up on there. They kumbaya, my Lord. You know, it's just so wonderful. But that wasn't their message. Their message was, we got to tell everybody in this town that we met the man who rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and he lives, and the question is, what will you do about it? If Jesus rose from the dead, what will you do about it? If, if Christianity is true because Jesus rose from the dead, then it demands a response from you. The resurrection of Jesus vindicates his sacrifice on the cross. It's his explanation point. Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sin. Explanation point. He rose from the grave. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, that settled it. You, you see, when he rose from the grave, he proved everything he said. And if Jesus rose from the grave, you can trust everything that he says. Every word that he said. He told you how to love your neighbor. He told you how to get along with your family. He told you how to handle your money. He told you everything in that book. And, and you go through and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll say, wow. And there's some things that Jesus says that you may disagree with. You say, I don't particularly like some of that stuff. Well, let me tell you, if Jesus rose from the dead, who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to me or you're going to listen to Jesus? And so if Jesus says, this is how you should live, I'm going to come and listen to the guy who rose from the dead because that's how I should live. Not from self-help books at Barnes & Noble or the latest infomercial or the latest health and wealth gospel out there. Listen, it is what Jesus said, and come to him. So let's go out and let's radically change. Do you, do you realize the second reason that you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead is because of the changed lives. There were 11 men, 11 disciples left, and they went out and they radically lived for God. Uh, Peter was, was one of the most changed lives. Peter comes out and he lived a changed life. And, uh, you know, Peter was out. He had denied Jesus three times. And then he goes out seven weeks after Jesus rose from the dead, and God uses him to preach one of the greatest sermons ever. And what does he do? He stands up before thousands of people, and he says, in Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And then they ask him, well, what should we do? In Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from trusting yourself. Turn from trying to offer your good works to God. Turn from everything that you think is good about you, and turn to Jesus and repent. It's an about-face statement. And I turn and I repent to God, and I say, God, I'm no longer going to trust my own good because my good isn't good enough. I'm going to trust what you did on the cross once for all forever. And I'm going to accept your love. I'm going to accept your forgiveness. But then the baptized. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision. Uh, the, the whole deal. When, when he preached that, he was, he was saying, look, come to Christ and then go get baptized. Uh, this morning in the first hour, we had, we had a, a baptism. Two, two of our young people got baptized this morning. Can we give God a hand for that? Man, that's exciting when things like that happen, you know? But here, baptism, and I shared this a few weeks ago, baptism is like a wedding ring. It, it, it's, not, it's not the event. A baptism doesn't get you into heaven. It, it's, it's like wearing a wedding ring. My wife knows that I'm hers more than this ring, but this ring tells everybody else that I'm hers. And so this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to repent and trust him. Uh, you know what? Uh, Romans 10.9 says this. If you will confess 
with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from the punishment of your sin. It's that simple. In closing today, I'd like to just share with you a couple guys uh, that, that came to an about face in their life. One was William Craig Lane, and uh, he actually had a debate years ago with, with a bunch of atheists. And uh, this was a pretty, pretty popular debate. And uh, at the end of the day, 47 atheists came to become followers of Christ, and not one Christ follower became an atheist. And William Crane Lane says this, the only rational conclusion is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Uh, Josh McDowell said this, after more than 700 hours of studying this subject, the resurrection, and through, investigating, and through thorough investigation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus is the most fantastic reality in human history. Reality. Benjamin Gilbert and Lord Littleton were two professors at Cambridge University. Uh, they took a leave of absence to, to, uh, to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They set out to disprove that Jesus ever rose from the dead. And at the end, this is what Benjamin Gilbert says. Reject not Christ and the Christian faith until you have examined the evidence. You see, I think this morning many people are throwing Christianity out because you don't like Christians. Many people are throwing Christianity out because you're offended by something that Jesus said. I'm going to tell you, Jesus rose from the dead, folks. And if he rose from the dead, there's a response that demands from you. Simon Greenleaf was a, Harvard, uh, a skeptic from Harvard Law School. He openly mocked Christians. One day his students challenged him and said, hey, let's, uh, let's apply the research principles that you are teaching us to Christianity. And what does Simon Greenleaf say? He says, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is one of the best established facts of history. Lee Strobel said it takes more faith to be an atheist than to be a follower of Jesus. Why? Because the facts are there. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I passed on to you what was most important, what, I, what had been given to me, that Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures predicted that he would. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures predicted that he would. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have died. And what he says is, if you don't believe me, go ask them. They're living over in Jerusalem. 500 of them. Uh, go, go talk to Peter. He saw them too. So this morning, I ask you, what's your response? If Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and he paid for your sin, and he validated it with an explanation point by coming back to life, will you call upon the name of the Lord today? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with, with the mouth man confesses unto salvation, but with the heart salvation is made by transferring your trust unto Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10. I invite you to Christ. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to respond to Jesus Christ. He's a great God. He's worthy to be praised. And so maybe you're sitting here and you say, Pastor Ken, I want to believe today. I want to trust him. And so God asked you to trust him. He asked you to respond. It's the greatest fact of all the world that Jesus died on the cross. 
and that he came back to life again. But now he's asking you to respond. He says that our sin, your sin separates you from your God, and, and there's only one remedy to it, is to trust Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to God but through Jesus. So if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Ken, I need Jesus. I want to make this real. I want to make this personal. Right now in your seat, would you just pray to him? Just say, God, I want you. I, I believe. I'm trusting you right now. I'm trusting you that you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And I invite you into my life right now. And for others in this room this morning, maybe you say, Pastor Ken, I've been, I've been walking away. I've been, I've been dealing with all kinds of problems. Could today be the day that God's calling you back? Could today be the day that you come back and, and refocus on the resurrected Lord and let him conquer your fear, your worry, your anxiety, your problems, everything that you have to deal with? Could it be the day that you come back and walk close with him? Respond to your God right now. Father, be with your people as we respond out of the goodness and the grace of who you are. In your name we pray. Come on, stand up and respond to that. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forever.